Thank you. Like, uh, like she said, my name is Brad Rhodes. My wife is Marilyn. She's not here. She's back home with the, the harder job with the, all of our children. We have five. This is a picture of our crew right here. There's seven of us, four girls and a boy. And uh, how many of you guys, how many of your parents, how many have noticed that uh, children can be a little bit tiring? <laughs> I remember one morning, it was a Saturday, and I was just exhausted. And my daughter asked me to do something for her, and I said, Abers, your dad's just tired. I need a little bit of a break. She goes, would you quit complaining about doing your job? <laughs> she goes, you're my dad, and you chose to have me. So uh, sometimes parenting's awesome, and kids are awesome, but they're often not super great at uh, boundaries or appreciation. So, but... I was an attorney in my first life, so for 22 years, I did civil litigation uh, in, in law practice, and then made the very natural, normal transition into full-time marriage ministry. But I just want to tell you why I left. Um, I watched so many people experience the pain of divorce and marriage breakdown, and some of you have experienced it, and all of you have probably seen it. It's hard. It's really hard. And I've watched how people do marriage. Super busy, running kids everywhere, running to youth sports on weekends, no time for the marriage, not really enjoying the marriage. And then half of them end up in divorce, rough, give or take 10%. And then the rest of them are fatigued, just, just basically working hard to get by. And I feel like we just have to change the way we do marriage. Completely change the way. That marriage gets priority. We have a ton of fun. We love each other. We make space for one another. Our marriage is atmospheric. We flip it. Marriage is more important than our kids. And we don't have to go to every kid's event because we want our marriage to stand out for the gospel. My testimony is not a whole lot. Well, before I say that, I want to speak to the singles. Chuck's right. When singles show up for a marriage sermon, they're like, oh. I want to tell you that what we're talking about today and how to do relationship, it applies to your friendships. And two, my prayers, it casts a hope and vision for what could be the case for you in the future. And there's no condemnation in Christ's. So anything that you've done wrong in the past has been covered by the blood of Jesus, and Jesus says, be a windshield guy, not a rearview mirror guy. And look forward to what the Lord has for you. You're not condemned by what's occurred in your past. So me and ended up in marriage ministry came out of my own marriage. I was, it was 1995. I was practicing law at a big firm in Nashville, Tennessee. I'd been in a, some, some degree of merit, dating relationships and none of them seemed to be good for me, and none of them seemed to be good for them. It just seemed like it was worse for both of us. The reason I was always in the relationship. And then I made a commitment. I just said, okay, I'm done with dating for a year. I'm just going to take a year, no dating. Eight months from that commitment, I was walking down the aisle to be married. True story. I'd made a complete commitment until I laid eyes on Marilyn Hudson. No commitments mattered anymore. She was gorgeous. And then as I got to know her, she loved Jesus. She was spontaneous. 
She was from Kentucky. She liked Kentucky. She was tall. You name it. She had everything I wanted and more. I couldn't believe she existed, much less she was interested in me. We'd only dated two weeks, and one of my friends at the law practice said, man, y'all dated two weeks, and I think it's like a 90% chance you're going to marry this girl. And I remember kind of freaking out inside, thinking, is there a 10% chance this falls apart? I can't, I can't, I can't handle that risk. Three and a half months of dating, our anniversary was, our eight-month anniversary was on our honeymoon. And we didn't have any fights in dating. I mean, we were crazy about each other. Our first fight was at our wedding reception. True story. I can get irritable, and I don't love having my picture taken. And if that's the case, it's not great to be a groom. So we are like walk, getting in the car to leave the wedding, and the photographer says, stop. And I looked at him and said, why don't I just stop so you can take one more picture of me? And Marilyn looked at me like, is he a jerk? And everything changed when we got married. It's like we dated, we had fun, we gave each other grace, we focused on the positive, we got married, we both got really busy, and we settled into this coexistence that was flat. And why the dating flurry and why the marriage drought? It's because the way we do marriage is jacked up. The, the wedding day needs to be the starting point of beauty, not the end point of beauty. And I want to cast a vision for you married people. Have a blast together for the glory of God. I want to give you a free ticket to enjoy one another without kids, and it's godly. And it's fun because for us, as soon as we got married, Marilyn went off to get her graduate degree. I started working in the law practice really hard, and we just settled in doing our lives separate side by side. And within four months, she was so lonely, she would cry two days a week. We'd be sitting in the car, and I'd look over, and just tears would be rolling down her face. And when she would cry, I didn't get compassionate. I just got frustrated. I'm like, why are you crying? I didn't do anything. And the Lord later showed me, that's the whole point. You didn't do anything. She wanted to be loved and pursued and made to feel beautiful and desired, and you gave her none of it. And within a year, Marilyn prayed, Lord, am I sentenced to a life of this? What was funny about me and dating was miserable to her in marriage. She came to my house in dating and was struck by how nasty it was. I mean, there was a film of black dog hair. She found a dog hair in her ice cube. <laughs> yeah. She said, I would never tempted to stay over at your house. So that was the only benefit of it. <laughs> and then when we got married, the messiness wasn't funny. I remember specifically saying, Brad, it's one thing to leave the soap in the tub, but the wrapper. I mean, literally, I would be so tired. I would just walk, take the soap, just drop it, and just get out. I mean, that's the way I lived, and it didn't work. And I remember thinking, because I went from Marilyn's favorite person in the world, within six months, I was her least favorite person in the world. And I remember telling her, Marilyn, my law practice is growing. My clients like me. My staff likes me. Like, you're the only person that doesn't like me. Are they all wrong and you're right 
or vice versa. She was right. And as a businessman once said, if the person that knows you the very best in the world likes you the least, you got some serious problems. Because I really thought our biggest problem in marriage was her hypersensitivity. I really thought that she would just calm down and just appreciate me. It'd be all good. Well, God moved in our marriage, thankfully, after about a year. Marilyn walked up to me, and I'll never forget the conversation. She said, we need to talk. Which, guys, if your wife here says, we need to talk, it's rarely, I'm just overcome with gratitude for you. <laughs> and she said, Brad, I don't need you. And I remember thinking, where's this going? And then she said, and I want to ask for your forgiveness. She said, I've been asking from you what only the Lord Jesus Christ can give me. She said, I put you in the place of God. I'm not beautiful because you make me feel beautiful. I'm not secure because you make me feel secure. I'm not loved because you make me feel loved. I'm beautiful, secure, and loved because Jesus Christ chose me, loves me, and I'm a unique creation of him. It has nothing to do with you, and I'm off your roller coaster. She says, I'll be your wife. I'll do my best to be a godly one. But my hope is no longer in whether you love me well. My hope is in him who always loves me perfectly. So our marriage went from bad to stable. And we learned going forward in marriage ministry, the reason a lot of marriages struggle is people ask for it what it can't give. Marriage can't fulfill you. Only God can. Marriage is a great gig. It's a wonderful thing, but it's not your hope. And there'll be periods where your spouse struggles and doesn't love you at all. But during those periods, when I say love you at all, I mean active love towards you. But during those periods, God loved you all the way through it. So then the Lord worked on me. So remember, I'm dominated by building a law practice. I'm doing my best to get new clients. I'm paying no attention to Marilyn. I even signed her up for a bowling league to get new clients. 35 weeks, Marilyn had to spend three hours a week on a Thursday night bowling. Marilyn is bad at bowling, hates bowling, and it was pre-smoking ordinance. And at the t in Kentucky, there's a correlation between bowling and smoking. <laughs> so, but she was miserable. Um, but I just drug her along to do it. But I had an uncle who Chuck knows, who's a very aggressive guy, and uh, wounds from a friend can be trusted or like his life verse. So he could see that I wasn't thriving in marriage. He could see that I wasn't pursuing Jesus. So he invited me to a marriage conference, and I said, no, I'm too busy at work. He invited me to a marriage conference. I said, I've got something at home. So then he changed his strategy. He called my office manager, cleared my schedule. Called my wife. Do you have anything this weekend? Cleared my schedule. Bought my ticket invited my father-in-law, and then called me. Do you want to go to the marriage conference? Let me check with my office manager. Already did it. You're totally clear. Well, let me call Marilyn. Already did it. You're totally clear. I went not wanting to go, dreading it. I thought, I had trouble sitting through an hour church service, sitting through eight hours of marriage preaching. Nothing sounded worse. 
and I thought I didn't need it. But I learned that God loves us so much, he'll give us what we don't think we need. So I went to the conference, and they put the scripture up on the wall. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. And I was given space. Brad, what are you giving up for Marilyn? Take some time. Write it down. I couldn't come up with anything. I did whatever I wanted to do. I didn't think what she wanted to do. Then the scripture, live with your wife in an understanding way. And I was asked, do you sit for hours and ask questions and get to know her heart and learn her and try to take that knowledge and pour into her to love her effectively? Never. Husbands, don't be harsh with your wives. I was sarcastic. I was rude. I was thoughtless. And I would say things to her and treat her in ways that I never would a client or a staff member. And God broke me and he showed me, Brad, you've taken the most beautiful thing I've ever given you other than a relationship with me and you've treated it like garbage for a year. And it broke me. But the neat thing was I wasn't full of guilt. I was full of excitement. Because Scripture tells in 2 Corinthians that godly sorrow is an excitement to change, an excitement to be different, excitement for a better way, and just thrilled you get a chance to try to clear yourself. A worldly sorrow is full of guilt and death and condemnation and depression. But I was just, I could not wait to get home. On the bus back, I had a vivid thought. She's still there. I got a chance. So I went home at 2.30 in the morning. And she doesn't even remember the conversation, but I do, because it was 2.30 in the morning. And I said, babe, the only thing that's going to be different is everything. And I don't want you to believe me. I don't expect you to believe me. I wouldn't believe me. But in five years, I want to ask you the question, did God change your husband? In our marriage from that day forward has been totally changed. God performed a miracle in it. At 5.30, three hours after I fell asleep, Marilyn gets up before church to plant bushes before church. Welcome to my wife. And I got up on three hours sleep, and I went outside, and I grabbed a shovel, and she looked at me like a ghost because I'd never had breakfast with her once. I didn't get up and talk to her ever. And she looked up, and at 5.30, I'm up to help her. She said, what are you doing? I said, babe, we're getting started today. Where do you want me to dig? And I'll tell you, the last 25 years of my life, we've had some terrible hardships. Three years of child crisis, and I mean terrible crisis. Her dad dying suddenly. But I've done life with my very best friend. We've had amazing celebrations, deep tears, but we've done it all together. And I've walked through life with my very best friend in the world. And it's the greatest privilege other than my relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what I want for all of you who are married. And I've seen, and then God showed me the power of an attractional marriage. Because right now, if you like, like hold hands and do things and laugh and have fun, you stand out like some cute anomaly. And why is a good marriage so different? So when Mary and I started having fun together and laughing and dating and doing stuff, we'd been working with youth at our church. So our youth said, hey, instead of our pastor doing our wedding ceremony, will you do it? Will you do our premarital counseling? I said, why do you want me to do your premarital counseling? I'm a lawyer. 
They said, because we want what you have. And we don't see it very often. So we started doing premarital counseling. Then we started a group. And I don't know why God had given us favor with marriages. We had about a two-year waiting list to be in the group. And then I saw, why is it that most of marriages aren't attractional? That doesn't have to be the case. And it's not how God designed it. But there's a lack of intentionality with marriage. We'd let life dominate us, then our marriage just fall flat. So the way grace marriage came about was actually experience in law practice and business. Okay, I'm a lawyer, and I own 50% of my practice. And I found it really hard to manage a business and then handle 200 cases at the same time. So the urgent always squeezed out the important business stuff. Now, we were fine, but we couldn't really grow that much. So I got in business coaching. Their model is every 90 days, get out of your business and work on your business. For, for one full day, you can't call a staff member. You can't call a client. You can't look at a case. You've got to look, what do you want the client experience to be? What's your unique ability? What do you need to delegate? Just good business principles. Well, within five years, my practice had doubled and my work week was down to 30 or 35 hours a week. And then it hit me. What if couples were as intentional with their marriage as I've been engaged to be intentional with my business? What if couples got together, talked about how God could get the most glory from their marriage, cast a vision, and then work together for it? What if every 90 days they got a recharge, a refocus, and they did it? 2012, we tried it. It worked. 2015, I completely left the law to do it full-time. Because as a church, we have to completely change the paradigm and how marriage is done. And churches have to make marriage a pillar. The DNA of the church has to be healthy marriages. Now, when I left, the timing wasn't too great. I had five kids. None had started college. Can you imagine if your wife and you're saying, hey, I've decided to quit the law practice. I'm just going to start a new marriage ministry. So I learned that it's real easy to get to the edge of the high dive but it's really hard to jump off. So I'm so excited. I can't wait to do marriage ministry the rest of my life. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I've got a good gig in the law. And I'll never forget what Marilyn told me. She said, Brad, would you please stop looking back and wasting our energy? God has made it clear what we're called to do. And I left and it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. And I long for every Bible-believing church to have a marriage ministry and believers being married, people seeing Jesus in the marriages. Because right now, we've got a major crisis. There's a 900% increase in cohabitation. 40% of young Americans now believe that marriage is an obsolete concept and it doesn't even have a place in society. The divorce rate among 50 and above has doubled. 65 and above has tripled. The average family may spend 10, 15 weekends away on youth sports and not spend one weekend away together enjoying their marriage. If we could get couples to spend half the time together that they do at youth sporting events, we would have vibrant marriages that set this world on fire. And as a result of marriage being flat, other messed up experiments in societies happened. A major news article actually talked about how monogamy is not best for all articles, citing PhDs. One article on marriage discussed ethical monogamy in marriage. That's like immoral immorality. So what's the answer? Let's make our marriages 
beautiful billboards for the institution. Because now you wonder, why are the marriage rates going down? Well, think if you're a youth and you say, well, if I get married, there's a 40 to 50% chance I get to do bitter divorce. But if that doesn't happen, I get to be bored. Wow, that sounds awesome. No, 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 no. You get to do life with your best friend, enjoy each other in freedom physically, enjoy touching, just doing everything together and having a blast. Then people are drawn to it. Because presently, people are not drawn to marriage. Meryl and I were out to dinner one night. We're talking, we're laughing, we're hanging out. And the waiter leans down and says, hey, dude, y'all dating or something? I'm 53. I'm wearing a ring. Two hints. But why would he assume we're not married? Married people don't date. Married people don't laugh. Married people look at their phones and go through life side by side. Then I went to another restaurant, and I was at the table beside me was this couple in their 60s. And he was on his phone tapping, and I overheard her say, if you did that when we were dating, I'd have never married you. He, he did this. He goes, just kept tapping away. And I thought that sums up the problem complacency and flatness and taking each other for granted. So I want you to be warrior lovers of one another. I want you to have radical enjoyment with one another. I want you to rescue one another when you're struggling. I want God to get glory watching you love one another. And two things have to occur. One, marriage has to be built on the foundation of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And two, we have to be intentional with our marriages. Right now, marriages are performance-based. And what that means is if you're good to me, I'll be good to you. If you're cold to me, I'll withdraw from you. If you aren't nice to me, I'll snap back. Or if I'm more introverted, I'll just withdraw and go cold. Love is given and taken away based upon the perceived performance of the other. But a grace-based marriage is totally different. You basically say, I choose to love you, and I just love you. Service kindness, physical affection, gifts, they're all a free gift of grace and you don't have to do a thing for them. Because guess what I did to receive the love of Jesus? Nothing. He just chose to love me and gave it to me as a free gift of grace because he chooses to love me. And how am I called to love you? Like that. And that's how I will love you. And unconditional favor and unconditional acceptance is such a place of security. So that's what a grace-based marriage looks like. So sin's not met with consequence. It's met with love. Let me show you this illustration. You have husband and wife. Now, inevitably, like I read one book recently, we all walk with the limp. We all struggle. And life gets the best of all of us. So when that happens, one person will sin against the other. Either go cold, be unavailable, be not nice, whatever. So one sins against the other. We'll pick the wife since Meryl's not here. And the wife moves away. Now, if Marilyn is not nice to me, raises her voice at me, asks me to do 14 things in seven minutes, whatever it looks like, what's my natural reaction? To take offense, to go to the other room, to ignore. So what do I naturally do is I move away from her. And when I move away from her, what happens? There's a sin beer. There's a lack of grace. And we live isolated from one another. And we may seem to get along. We may live in the same house. 
But there's a coldness and there's a barrier. But in a grace-based marriage, think of Romans 6.14. Sin will have no dominion, no mastery, no control over you. Why? You're under grace, not law. So like in that illustration, sin had dominion because it's a law-based marriage. You're holding sin against one another. In a grace-based marriage, it's different. One still sins. Remaining sin's a reality. Look at 1 John. If you say you don't sin, you're a liar. The truth's not in you. Paul says, I still do the things I shouldn't do. So one moves away from the other. But instead of taking offense, what's the husband think? Well, I was yet a sinner. Christ died for me. How am I to love my spouse? Just as Christ loved me. So instead of taking offense, he moves toward, gives grace, pursuit, kindness, concloses a relational gap. The ministry of reconciliation is put on display. The person's loved despite their sin and doesn't have their sin held against them. Think of Ecclesiastes. Pity the man that falls and has no one to help him up. One of the beautiful things about marriage is I've fallen numerous times to stress, to anxiety, to just being cynical. And my wife every time goes to war for me. She doesn't withdraw from me. And this is what sets Christian marriages apart. What does Luke 6 say? Even pagans are good to those who are good to them. What sets a Christian apart is how you treat others when they're not good to you. Were we good to Jesus? No. Was he good to us? The biggest understatement that's ever been made. So even pagan husbands are good to pagan wives when they're good with each other. But when I'm not good to Marilyn and Marilyn's good to me, gospel. When Marilyn's not good to me and I'm good to Marilyn, gospel. Now I want to make one thing really clear. Grace is never tolerating physical abuse. It's never tolerating emotional abuse or infidelity. But in the day-to-day stuff, Grace covers sin. It'll set you free in the day-to-day. We used to live frustrated at one another because we're so different. I'm a list guy. If you're not intentional, you won't get everything done. Marilyn is, lists stress me out. I just want to do what I want to do, and it's all going to be fine, Brad. You just need to chill out. That's the difference. So one night, we're getting ready to go to bed, and Marilyn panics. She forgot to fill our kid's prescription. And she said, how could a mom forget her kid's prescription? And she starts beating herself up. So I'm thinking, well, if you had a list, (laughs) this wouldn't happen because the prescription would have been on the list. So I'm thinking we could institute a fridge system for you and we can just keep the things you need to do and this won't happen. That's what I thought. But I remembered grace. And I said, babe, you're the best mom I know. And our kids hit the lottery to have you. You do a thousand things every day, and it's amazing you don't forget more. I'll pick it up before work in the morning. I'll drop it off at school. It's no big deal. Go to sleep. And she was totally free. I could be an agent of condemnation, or I could be an agent of grace. I could join the evil one in his attacks on Maryland, trying to accuse her, or I could join the Lord in saying, encourage one another while it's still today. Light went off for one couple in grace marriage. He tends to overwork, misses dinner a lot. It was a source of contention through their entire marriage. First session of grace marriage on extending grace. Two weeks later, he's late to come home from work, and she sends him a text. Grace, it's all good, babe. Can't wait to see you when you get home, winky face. Love you, Renee. 
And his testimony was like, man, I got that thing. I was like, I want to get home. <laughs> you know, so what's, what's there for me at home? But when she replaced grace with criticism, guess who doesn't overwork anymore? True grace motivates better behavior in the believer. It just does. And true grace protects a marriage when we're struggling. I remember one time I was in a kind of a spiritual drought kind. I just felt cold. I wanted to care, but I didn't. I knew the things I should do for Marilyn. I wasn't doing them. Marilyn took offense and was telling me all the things that she wishes I was doing and I wasn't doing. And I kind of looked at her like, I mean, well, have you ever looked at your husband? You're telling him something. You can tell he's not listening. He doesn't care. I was like, you know. So I called my mentor and I said, Doug, I'm, I just feel cold inside. I don't feel love. I don't want to change. What do I, tell me what I need to do. He gently said, Brad, you don't need to do a thing. Just stop and praise Jesus Christ and worship him that all your coldness and rudeness are covered by the blood of Christ. It's all good. Go home, confess your sins to your wife, tell her you're sorry, enjoy your breath. I did it, and we went on a date that night, and it was as if neither one of us ever sinned. And in the morning, we looked at each other, and we just both started laughing. Why? Guess what has no dominion over us? Sin. Guess why? The grace of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. And it will protect you in crisis. We have a daughter. When she was 10, came to bed with us, and we don't normally allow that for obvious reasons. And um, she came to bed with us, and she said she couldn't sleep. At 2 a.m., she stops breathing. Marilyn starts screaming. I start running around the house trying to find the rescue inhaler. I never found it, even though it was where it should be. Broke my toe and ripped my foot open in the process. Should never be in emergency medicine. Um, She goes limp. She quits breathing, and Marilyn thinks she's dead in her arms. Turns out she had an extended grand mal seizure. They couldn't tell us what was wrong with her. The test came back normal. Marilyn went to bed every night, afraid that we'd wake up and Madeline wouldn't be alive. Full of anxiety, got depressed. We had another kid who had learning issues and another baby that wasn't sleeping. For a full year, Marilyn was down. And God just showed me, just love your struggling wife. We went on a date weekly through that whole period. When we did, as soon as we'd sit down at the restaurant, Marilyn would just sob. She would just try to hold it together in front of the kids, and as soon as we sit down, she'd sob. We were five guys one time, and I literally watched tears pour into her fries. I remember telling her, it's five guys, burgers, and cries. But, but we just kept loving one another and talking. Our marriage got stronger through it. About a year into it, Marilyn called me on the phone and said, Brad, I'm happy you're happy. She goes, I forgot what it even felt like to be happy. But I'm happy. And then she cried at dinner that night for different reasons. She said, thank you. I said, for what? She said, for not telling me to get in the Word more, for not telling me to memorize scriptures, for not telling me to exercise. She goes, Brad, I was barely getting by. And if you had heaped what I knew I should be doing on me, I just wouldn't have made it. Thank you for giving me grace and just loving me through this. 
And that's what we need is to put the love of Jesus on display. Because Matthew 7 tells us storms are going to come. And they're going to be bad storms. And we've had a lot of bad storms. Sudden death of her dad, a lot of bad storms. But because of grace, we're standing firm. We're closer than we've ever been. And we're enjoying one another more than we've ever enjoyed one another. And who gets all the glory for that? It's Jesus Christ. I'm not strong. I get stressed. I get cold. Marilyn, kids get the best of her. Can't sleep, tears, wakes up at 2.30 in the morning to write a two-page letter to our daughter. <laughs> That's what we go through. But Jesus is perfect, and we give each other grace, and our marriage is strong. So first and foremost, build your marriage on the foundation of grace and let forgiveness mark your relationship. Second, be intentional with your marriage. Prioritize your marriage. The present model is couples don't give their marriage attention until they hate each other. And they don't call a counselor or a pastor until they're so miserable they just can't take it. You don't wait till your car breaks down to change your oil. You don't wait till your health breaks down to exercise. Everything takes ongoing attention to thrive. Sowing and reaping is a real thing. So while grace is primary, the implementation of God's Word is a must to have a great marriage. And when we learn things about our marriage, like I said earlier, it's not to condemn you. You won't come tonight thinking, oh, I feel terrible because I'm a bad spouse. No, you'll say, I feel excited because there's this beautiful thing ahead for us that we can work toward that's a ton of fun, that's beautiful, that puts Jesus on display that makes my life better and gives him more glory. It used to be, Marilyn could hardly give me any input because I had this quick trigger of defense. She's like, would you do this? Well, I do this, 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 and this, and this, and this. She just quit giving me rebuke because all I did was try to tell her how good I was every time she said something bad about me. But then God showed me, Brad, it's to give you a better marriage. I remember we taught on physical touch, non-sexual physical touch, we taught on it together. Then at night as we're going to bed, I asked her, I said, babe, how am I doing in that area? She goes, do you really want to know? I'm like, no. But she told me anyway. She said, you touch me like you do our, our dog, Lucy. And I, she goes, have you ever thought that I don't enjoy that? <laughs> She's like, we're sitting in church, and for some reason out of nowhere, you just bang my leg three times. And she said, when you put my, your arm around me, it's like, bam. And it's like there 20 seconds, and then you move it back, and then you bam it again. And then she paused, and she said, are you mad? I'm not mad. I said, we've got a great marriage, and now I'll touch you a little better. But see, that's what it is. It's a journey toward greater and greater beauty. It's not a journey of attack. It's not a journey of, of condemnation. So put your time and treasure in one another. And I ask myself, why is it? You know, one leader told me, he said, the church historically has done a great job of telling people how important marriage is, but it's been an absolute disaster in doing anything practically helpful. And what Sugar Hill's doing now is giving you something practically helpful. So I ask myself, why is it that so many couples' marriages are flat and not attractional? 
in the parable of the seeds came to mind that says the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worry of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So what happens? You get married, you get busy, you have kids, you get in sports, you do this, you worried about bills and 529s and retirements and all this stuff, and guess what falls to the wayside marriage? And what did Tim Keller say? If anything comes ahead of your marriage except for Jesus, your marriage will slowly die. When we don't prioritize as God sets it out, it does not work well. And I get it, it's hard. I've got five kids in four different schools. I love them, we talk all the time, and it's completely complex. But every week, Meryl and I go on a three to five hour date. Every night we sit in the same chairs and we talk and we debrief about our day. Every quarter we get away and we tell everybody else, these are rhythms that you're going to have to deal with and work around. We had one quarterly getaway that fell on the same day as my daughter's visit to the college she was going to go run for. It was called Tiger Days. Dad, are you coming to Tiger Days with me? I said, no, I can't. I said, they got that day blocked off with your mom. I said, you can go with your grandmother to Tiger Days. And if you want me to see Campbellsville University, I'll see it another day. Because I don't schedule over your mom. Because she is my priority ahead of you. And how well I love your mom is really how well I parent you because it creates the atmosphere for you in our home. You may not know it, but trust me, you're glad, you should be glad I prioritize your mom and date your mom if you had any idea how hard it would be if our marriage ever broke down. So we've done that for 25 years, and it's kept our marriage alive. So what Sugar Hill is doing is they're launching Sugar Hill Marriage. And what they want you to do is commit to a rhythm that every 90 days, I'll give my marriage four hours. We'll have four four-hour dates a year where we connect, talk, plan, celebrate, and deal with issues. You will laugh. You will cry. I don't know, we've been in it nine years, and I'm not sure we've had a session yet that Marilyn didn't cry. Sometimes joy, sometimes grieving over our children's struggles. But every quarter we connect and plan. It's not four hours of teaching. You'll be taught a biblical principle, space to apply to your context and writing through interactive worksheets, and then the meat of the day will be you talking with your spouse, casting a beautiful, fun vision together to continue to grow your marriage. One couple with kids, with their first session, they came to me and said, we've decided we're going to go home and we're going to be married again. We're not just going to be a butler and a maid going crazy trying to get everything done. We're going to enjoy marriage. Think about it. You live together you sleep in the same room, I hope. Some don't, especially if you use a CPAP. But, um, but the reality is, why not enjoy it? Scripture calls it an oasis in the desert, and life's tough, but we have, we have this sweet place of total grace with one another to richly enjoy that helps us make it through this difficult life. I've been in marriage coaching nine years, and every quarter it is something different, but life continues to throw challenges. One quarter, I may schedule too much. Another quarter, it may be that I've become emotionally withdrawn. But every quarter, we deal with the issues and we keep growing. And it's for all marriages. One couple in their 80s said, we signed up to get to know the younger people. 
And then afterwards, they came to their pastor and said, we're committed to not just finishing out our life side by side. We're going to enjoy one another. And they started dating, and they started having fun, and they started having a marriage that's attractional. And it's not just a program. It's something you say, I'm going to commit to invest in my marriage on a consistent basis. I cannot express to you how marriage, important marriage is. Husband, wife, Christ in the church, wedding supper, the lamb, the impact it has on children and youth. You can't overcome family dysfunction with weekly programming at a church. Nothing's better for your children and youth ministry than for you to have an amazing marriage yourself. So what Chuck's asking, what I'm asking is every married couple, we're going to get on a growth track. We're not going to stagnate. We're going to have a blast. And when life's troubles happen, we're going to hit it connected, and we're going to become more connected, and God's going to get more and more glory. Other than my relationship with Jesus, marriage is the greatest gift that I've ever been given. And I'm so thankful to God for it, and I want to give him glory through it. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm going to pray, and then Chuck's going to come up here. So, Lord Jesus, we um, thank you for uh, marriage. We thank you more than that for grace. We all need it. I pray that the grace we're talking about given, we realize that we have the opportunity to receive. And then, Lord, you don't hold our sins against us. You love us as your children. You want us to prosper. Lord, help our marriages be walking billboards for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May people be drawn to Sugar Hill and, more importantly, you, through the institution that you analogize to the relationship with Christ and the church. Thank you for this loving, joy-filled body. Comfort them in their trials and struggles. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for having me. Amen. Thank you, Brad. That was good. That's good stuff. So... Now you're wondering, so what do I do? So tonight, uh, 5, we'll eat together, 5.30, Brad will kick it off. You'll probably be home around 7.45, 8-ish at the latest. And, uh, but we do need you to sign up. So if you go straight out the door, if you don't do it, on, you can do it on the app or go just online, or you can go straight out the back doors. You'll see the tables and the banners there, and you can sign up today because there's room for you to just come on. We'll have a great time. And the great thing about this is that uh, this is not a conference that we want to make marriage such a priority in the life of our church that it's woven into the DNA of our discipleship and relationship message and ministry in the life of the church. So every quarter, we're asking you to just take four hours and just change the oil of your marriage. And how good is that, that you could just have such a wonderful marriage that you keep moving? I, I did the math, and Brad, basically 57 cents a day, you, you can have these quarterly checkups in your marriage ongoing. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's a, what, what an investment, what an incredibly in, just important investment to make in your marriage. So let's begin tonight, and we'll see you back here at 5 p.m. for that. I promise you, you're going to have a lot of fun. You're going to laugh a lot, and it's just going to be, it's, it, I promise you, it will be so great. And guys, just do this. On your way to tonight, I would encourage you just uh, like pull up Spotify and just go with this. Let's get it on. <laughs> and then, would, what? What? <laughs>
You thought it. I just said it. So <laughs> let's just go ahead and get everything ready. We're going to have a great time. But listen, this Jesus that Brad's talked about, mm -hmm. let him go before you and make a way and make your crooked path straight. Come on, stand with me. Let this Jesus that we talked about go within you and bring you peace and joy, fulfillment and contentment because he is always good and you are always loved. I love that. And when you do have difficult days, let this Jesus Brad's talked about come along behind you and pick you up and carry you, not around it, but through the middle of it, only to set you down victoriously on your two feet and wipe away your tears and kiss you on the forehead and wrap his loving arms around you and draw you up close to him so you can hear your Savior say, my child, say it with me, I, I love, love you. you. God bless you. Go in peace. We'll see you tonight. Thank you. Thank you, bro.